I thank you that um, even though we are weak, that you are strong. I pray we would find encouragement. We would find our hope, our trust. Um, and we place that in you, God. Uh, I pray, pray that you'd speak to us this morning through both, through your word, that you would challenge us um, just to live differently. Uh, you challenge us just to show the world who our true God is, God. Jesus, never pray. Amen. Be seated. And Phil, may I ask you to put the second to last slide that we just saw? The That one. Let's just leave that up, please. I think we need lights. I think we need lights. I'll try not to get in the way. Um, I would ask, too, this morning, if possible, just, you know, since I'm the uh, <clears throat> guest speaker... I would love it if everybody had a copy of the outline that's in the bulletin and had a pen. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to take some notes because we need to really contemplate today. And it's even going to be a... And a two-stand morning. When I share with Chad and Michael what I was going to share this morning, uh, Chad and you know started scribbling some notes, and then he said, "I got this idea." So we're going to do a little bit of Chad's idea, huh? <laughs> and Chad has an idea, you know, just like E. F. Hutton. Chad speaks. I don't always listen, but that was a good idea. So. His idea was to uh, turn to the person next to you and do this, but I think it might be more, because the person next to you is, is somebody you know and probably love and is part of your family. So in order to, like we said, we're turning up the heat this morning. So um, let's just kind of do this, like turn, you know, kind of pair up on the rows. Just kind of turn around in your seats so everybody's going to have somebody to chat with just really quickly. Two words. To start with, and when I say these two words, then I want you just to kind of pop out some whatever thoughts come to your mind, okay? And if this fails, remember, this is Chad's idea. <laughs> okay, the two words, and then just kind of, again, just like turn around somebody and go, you know, pop out some answers. Deb, you ready? The neck on a swivel is what they say. Okay, you're going to turn around to Andrew right there. There's the guy that you talked to. Andrew? Andrew, see this lady in front of you? That's who you're going to answer, okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, two words, just whatever first comes to your mind. Putting them together. God, money, go. God, money. Whatever comes to your mind, you got those two. God and money. Boom. Y'all are fighting over who to talk to. Come on. God and money. God, money. Okay, we're stopping with that one. Here we go. Church money. Go. Church money. Okay, time's up. All right, just uh, this is, I, I intend this to be interactive this morning. You got that idea. Uh, just quickly, what, what words popped out? Hit me with them. Just go. Tithing. Tithing. Treasure. Treasure. Support. Support. Stewardship. Stewardship. Necessary. Necessary. Televangelist. Televangelist. <laughs> okay. What else? I heard the word ministry over here, didn't I? Yeah. You want to say that out loud or what? Ministry. ministry. Yeah, that's good. Heard ministry. Okay. What else? His. His. Okay. Stewardship. Stewardship. Trust. Trust. Checking up up here, aren't you? Give me faith to trust what you say. Oh no. Go ahead. What else? Is it a burden? 
Did anybody say burden? Did anybody say headache? Did anybody say guilt? Did anybody say frustration? Broke. Okay, God is broke. We're going to remember that one. Okay. All right, how comfortable was that? Anybody say guilt? Eh. Nah, okay. All right. Well, thanks for doing that. Uh, This morning, you can see in your bulletin, we've entitled this Matter of Trust. No, we haven't. Heart of the Matter. Just gave away the end, didn't I? Man. Okay, heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Um, and I want, to, uh, I want to share kind of what, what prompted what's going on. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with this book? Okay. How many of you have a copy of this book? I think that our church needs to invest so that everyone has a copy of this book. This is, uh, this is put about every 10 years, uh, and, it is, uh, and it's pretty close to this, uh, the subtitle, The Definitive Prayer Guide to Every Nation. This is a tremendous resource for the world, but particularly, I think, for American Christians, because we don't see the world often. We see our own little worlds locally, and we kind of get caught up in, as they say sometimes, navel-gazing. Um, so Operation World is a, a daily prayer guide to the world, and literally, I mean, it, just, it will open your eyes uh, to the needs, to the challenges, to countries you've probably never heard of. Uh, and, and it's just a, just a wonderful daily prayer guide. But the first 11 days of the year, they kind of do an overview of the world and situations. And one of the ones that they talk about is uh, matters to pray for. And um, one of them is the church worldwide. So I want to read from Operation World and just... As you hear these words, I want you to process them and, in a, in a sense, say, am I agreeing with that or am I not agreeing with this? So, here it talks about, you know, the church worldwide. The church is the primary locus or location or setting. The church is the primary setting for the work of God in bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have not heard or believed. Okay, the church is the primary setting for the work of God, for those to bring Christ. Okay, it is God's chosen means for carrying out the Great Commission and completing His purposes for humanity. It is God's chosen means for carrying out the Great Commission and completing His purposes for humanity. It is also the venue for the work of the Holy Spirit among God's people for sanctifying, for discipling, for attaining maturity to the measure, the stature, of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4 passage. So the church is the primary means for bringing the good news to those who have not heard. The church is the chosen means for carrying out the Great Commission and completing God's plan for humanity. The church is also the venue for the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify, disciple, and mature Christians. The church on earth is only an imperfect manifestation of the one true invisible church of the Lord Jesus. On earth... We're going to get some amens, okay? On earth, it is driven by conflict, by deep and fundamental disagreements on theology, by cultural differences, by personal rivalries, and by the sheer scope of how it tries, or fails to try, to work out its understanding of the gospel in the local context. Yet all who belong to Jesus together comprise the invisible body of Christ, with Him as the head. Jesus prayed for our unity. Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. The Holy Spirit works in countless ways and in places through the breadth of all those who call upon the name of the Lord. 
And then it mentions some specific things to pray for for the church. The, 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 the thing that I want us to hear in this is clearly across the board, there are challenges in the local church. But the one thing that, that I think is, is cool is this statement here, and this is what jumped out at me. The church um, has issues how it tries or fails to try to work out its understanding of the gospel in its local context. So, we know that there are, uh, uh, the Evangelical Free Church puts out a thing they call the uh, uh, profile of a, of a healthy church, and they list ten things, you know, the, being biblically centered, being uh, gospel driven, being, you know, uh, aware of the, the needs of the poor, you know, it's got these uh, profiles of, of the importance of the local church. And when I read that statement about it, the church wrestles with how that works out in the local context. That just like flew all over me because, uh, because of the second thing. That was one of the reasons that I want to share what I'm sharing is my belief in the existence, the establishment of the church, but the local church, we see it throughout Scripture. We see it in the New Testament. Clearly, there are local congregations who are gathered together, and they share a common goal, belief in the, in the Word, trusting in Christ, and they, they throw their resources together to uh, accomplish what God has led them to. So, three things why I'm sharing what I'm sharing this morning. That's the first, is that we do have here, right now, Cherokee County, we have a local congregation. Uh, this church started about 10 years ago. It started... Uh, with a few families, it started with the heart to say, Lord, we believe there needs to be in our community a solid Bible teaching and believing and acting body of believers who don't play games, who are serious about their faith, serious about husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, living their faith out in our community, sharing Christ. We believe that. We believe that we need to be people of integrity, people of authenticity, don't want to play games, don't want to just like, okay, well, that person, you know, they, well, that's just the way they are. You know, we, this church was planted with the idea that there needs and there ought to be a group of authentic believers who are serious about their faith, who will not shy in standing for the gospel in this community. And, and from that, then we, you know, when, when we actually started the church, and for those of you who don't know, it started in our living room, and, and I had pastored uh, full-time uh, for about 13 years prior to moving here, and uh, I was a very reluctant pastor after that. So when we started this church, it was like, you know, well, yeah, you can call me pastor or whatever. We'll do the teaching. I was working full-time at the college. Um, and it's like, let's just see what God does because there is in Cherokee County alone, when we did the research at the time, there were about 26,000 people in the, in the, uh, County. Then there's some, um, figures that you can find online, but basically, uh, only about half of those claimed any affiliation with the church in Cherokee County. So roughly 12 to 13,000 people claim some kind of affiliation, but then in, you know, my practical way, I started thinking about. First Baptist Andrews, First Baptist Murphy, Little Brass Town, First Methodist, Presbyterian, da da da, you know, doing all that stuff. All the churches that I knew about, and it came to you know, the, and their regular tenders, and it came to about maybe four to five thousand folks in Cherokee County probably were really active in connecting with the fellowship. So that left what twenty thousand people in Cherokee County that either didn't care about Christ and the church uh, were unbelievers. Were, were frustrated, mad, angry, and, you know, to the church, right? Stick up your nose. I don't care. You guys have hurt me. You've hurt my family, you know, whatever reason. So we, we identified those as those who are disenfranchised, uh, those who are unconnected, something like that. And we said, you know what? Uh, you know, when we started this, I, I sat down with the pastor of the church we were attending, and he looked at me and he said, don't take any of the sheep here. And I said, that's not where we're going. We're not stealing sheep. Okay? Because there are 20,000 people in Cherokee County alone 
that are disenfranchised that need to hear the good news of the gospel. So that's kind of our target. And as the Lord has put this congregation together, you know, we we can analyze it all day. The only thing that we had over the first few years was there was nobody in our midst who was a local. I mean, it was like we looked around and everybody was kind of an outsider. And then came Lynn. (laughs) Bless her heart. (laughs) Uh, It's like, oh, but then came Howard. Bless his heart. Right. So. So anyway, so our uniqueness was like, okay, we can't say that anymore. Not that we ever said it. You know, I mean, that wasn't our intent. But anyway, that's kind of that's kind of what it is. And, you know, um, I told you all, I think, in in the past about a friend of mine who was planning a church in uh, just outside of Charlotte in a small community uh, where there is a university called Wingate. And Jim, the guy who started that church, he was in town one day and some guy said, what, who are you? And Jim said, I'm, you know, Jim, I'm pastor of the community church here. What kind of church is that? And uh, is that a Baptist church? And, and, and Jim was standing on the street and they're shaking hands and he, the guy wouldn't let go of his hand. He said, is it a Baptist church? And Jim says, well, no, we're not a Baptist church. He said, uh, well, what do you believe? And uh, Jim says, well, uh, we believe in God's word. It sounds like a Baptist church. No, it's not a Baptist church. You believe in baptism? Yeah, we believe in baptism. It's a Baptist church. No, it's not a Baptist church. You know, and the guy, this whole conversation going on. And, and finally, uh, the, the guy just said, uh, you know, so what do you believe? And Jim finally said, or, or what do you preach? And Jim said, I preach Christ crucified. And the guy said, that's good enough for me, you know, and let him go. So, you know, that, that's kind of like we're in, a, we're in a culture where, um, you know, all of our practices are pretty baptistic. I mean, we believe in immersion and we believe in, uh, you know, believer's baptism and, and coming to Christ, but we're not a Baptist church. And so... As we have put all this together, and it's like, Lord, we don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, Mark and Kathy, Wes and Linda, kind of early days. It's like, Lord, we are just putting ourselves before you, and you build the church. So the neat thing is, over the years, the Lord has built the church, brought folks together. So we, it's been fun to see that. But as I was reading that, it's like, you know, this, this whole thing of, as a local church, wrestling to find its context and what is our context and then when we you remember michael put on put the map up of where we're all from i mean you know uh we've got we've got people uh when we first we had people in in robbinsville who attended we had people in in blairsville who attended we have hanging dog and ranger and martin's creek and andrews and tufted and marble and you know this scattering um, who did I leave out? Brasstown. Who else did I leave out? Peachtree. Hot House. Yes, Hot House. Uh, anyway, so it's like, so everybody's here. So, and I believe none of us are here by accident. Do you guys believe that? I mean, none of us are here by accident. So, what do we need to be about? What is the heart of the matter of where we're living? So, uh, belief in low congregation, and let me just give my other little uh, <clears throat> thing that, that I believe very strongly. I believe that, that the local church, if the local church, and this got me in trouble uh, 35 years ago when I said this in front of a group of elders right after I got out of seminary, and I was uh, meeting with some elders at a, at a local church, and I made this statement. <laughs> I said, if the local church was doing its job, then organization, parachurch organizations wouldn't need to exist. Okay? And then I was, in my youth, I was going, like, Camps of Crusade for Christ. I mean, I was involved with Camps of Crusade for Christ when I was at the University of Florida. Uh, you know, great ministry, tremendous worldwide impact. But, I, you know, I said, like, Camps of Crusade for Christ. I mean, if the local church were doing its stuff in a university town, that local church ought to be doing campus ministry, Right? Uh, the navigators, ministry to military, that's how they got started. But if the local churches were doing their jobs, you know, would we need the navigators? And, you know, you kind of go down the list, all right? Parachurch organization. So I believe that the local church has a job to do. 
I believe the local church needs to look at its environment almost uh, very clearly a mission mentality. Okay, when you go into a new culture, we've got folks here who are missionaries who have gone into cultures who know what we're talking about. But you don't you don't go in. You don't go in and say, do it our way because this is the way we do it in the South. You know, it's like you you find out your culture, right? Miles, you can probably talk for hours on this, right? You explore your culture, uh, contemporary. You see what is going on and then you join them with the gospel. You don't uh, water down the gospel. You don't water down the truth, but you join these folks, right? And you introduce Christ into their culture, into their way of life and all that. So that's what I think that the local church ought to be doing. That's what I think we ought to be doing. So um, as we, as Christ Community Church, we exist... Um, something has occurred that um, got my attention. I am also the reluctant guy that kind of gathers the money. Try very hard, the people that help count, we try very hard not to look at who gives what or any of that stuff. We, we I explained a couple weeks ago, you know, we have this system where we take the checks, if there's checks, and we try to slowly slide back to see the check number and an amount, and we put that on a deposit slip, fold it up, and send it to a treasurer who's in Graham County, Jeff Cole, and Jeff's a CPA, and so he handles the books. Jeff, in a few weeks, is probably going to give us all our giving statements for 2012. So, you know, doing that. But what we've seen is Jeff, we total it up and give it to him, but what we've seen in the last few months is a significant dwindling of our giving even though we've seen, in a sense, an increase of our attendance. Okay, so that says to me, or asked the question, what's going on? What's going on? So a few weeks ago, I asked Jeff, I said, can you give me an analysis of the giving of this church, percentages, whatever? And I, I sent him a name of all the names of the people that I would consider regular attenders of Christ Community Church. It was about 24, 25 family units. Um, and a family unit um, would be Bo and Debbie Gray is one family unit. Priscilla Gray, being a college graduate, is another family unit. Okay, so just kind of divided that way. Um, so if you're, if you're out of your own, you're a family unit. Something like that. So about 25 family units. So I said, I sent him a name of all the people that are regular givers, uh, not regular givers, regular tenders. And then I sent him a name of the uh, groups of people who had been with us, but maybe gave in 2012, but were no longer with us on a regular basis for whatever reason. So he gave, sent me back an analysis, you know, family unit one, family unit two, and kind of run down. So I got that and I looked at it. And basically, here's what his analysis was. Four family units, four family units in 2012 provided more than 50% of this church's receipts in the year for family units. He identified two of those were on my list of those who were no longer with us. Okay? So all of a sudden you go, oh, maybe that's why this went this way. And then in his continued analysis, um, you know, he, he said basically uh, 13 family units give more than 90% of the giving in this church. The average gift per family unit in this church for the last year was about $1,700, the average. So that, I go, okay, so if we're just going on the old, the old school tithing 10% thing, which, you know, that everybody's, you know, well, if we just did that, that meant that most of the family units may have had an annual income in 2012 of about $17,000, if we're just doing it that way. And everybody's crying inside of your hearts. That's not fair, Bo. That's, you know. I'm just saying, if that's what we're doing, okay? Now, the whole deal is this. James 4.17, James 4.17 says, He who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, you want to finish it for me? To him... It is sin. Okay? That verse here. 
So that verse is our umbrella. So what follows is we've got a church that, uh, and the other part of it was very interesting of this is there were eight family units where the top gift for the year was $600 or less. Okay, eight family units. Now, you know, again, it's like 6000 Did people really just make 6000 bucks this year? Possible, but, you know, I mean, like, are pe- why aren't people giving to the church? So when we met this week, it's like, why aren't people giving to this church? Why aren't they giving to this church? <laughs> well, because I give to all these other things, okay? Uh, World Vision, World Relief, Crusade, New Tribe Ministries. I give to all these other ministries, and I only have this left for the church. So then we got, okay, is that the way we ought to give, or should we rethink our giving? But there's such a need, and there's, you know, it's like, so this whole process of giving, which is not uncomfortable, which is very uncomfortable to talk about, I can tell you that. It's very uncomfortable. I'm looking at all your faces. It's very uncomfortable. However, um, you know, this, we just need to just be blunt. I mean, this is kind of like family. So I kind of almost want this from this point on interaction. I mean, if I say something, you go, eh, raise your hand. Let's talk about it. Because as you look at the outline, uh, and now we're going to run, th- we're, we're going to run through the outline. Oh, the third, the third thing really quick, the third thing of why Okay, the first thing is the local church exists. It has a mission. We ought to be united on the mission. Number two is looking at what's going on in our church. Basically, our giving funds the ministry. All right, that's it. The third reason, and this is why I want to share, the third reason is in the last month, there have been, what did we decide the other day, easily more than half the people, easily more than half the people in this congregation uh, have expressed Tim and Janet, you know, just called this meeting, just spontaneous meeting to say, you know, I've been talking to this person, this person, this person, this person. And people are talking about dealing with at-risk families and at-risk children and, and you know, what can be done in this community and, and all of that stuff. And so here's the third thing. It's like, so God, it appears, is stirring people. And I shared, uh, we met with Tim the other day too. The neat thing is, probably more than three quarters of the folks. When I started looking at names, I mean, we got people here who are foster parents. We got people who are respite foster parents. We got people here who are in the social system, social service system. We got people who are adopting. We got people here who are, uh, who have this real heart. I mean, it's just like 75% of the folks in this group have expressed an interest in some sort of ministry to at-risk children and families. So, here we go. We've got a church, local context, God established local context of the church is that, that basically needs to discuss where they're going and where they're going to um, invest, if you will. And then we have a local church who, whose giving has been tapering off. Okay. And then we have a bunch of folks in this local church that are expressing a desire to do some kind of focus ministry in a, in a very intense manner uh, for the kingdom. Okay? That's what we have. So, and I think this is really exciting. This is really cool. This is really cool. So, on the outline, the treasure principle in Matthew chapter 6. Very quickly, somebody just turn to that and read 19, 20, and 21 of Matthew 6. Just read it out loud, please, loudly and firmly. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Read that last verse again, please. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, okay? This is a cool, cool word, okay? The Greek word is thesaurus. All you homeschoolers, who uses a thesaurus when you have to write a paper? 
Does somebody use a thesaurus? Okay, basically, the thesaurus is a treasury. Okay, it is a storehouse. Where your treasury is, there your heart is. Where your storehouse is. We all know that. So, this is a very simple one. The treasure principle. Easily, I would say that how people give, where they give, they give to their heart. They give to their heart. Or they keep for their heart. If they're not giving, probably something is preventing them from giving. It's like, well, I got this bill, this bill, this bill. I got this thing to do. I got this expense. My car is breaking down. Going to pay off the house. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Right? That principle exists. Do we all can... Do we believe that? I mean, literally, do we believe that? What we treasure is where we give, where we invest. Okay. All right. So, we go back to our friends in the Old Testament. The most famous verse that we've all heard all of our lives, especially if we've been raised in churches like I was raised. His name was B. Earl Matthews. And in our church, we always had a deacon come up and say a prayer before we took the morning offering. And B. Earl Matthews, who was, uh, at the time, he must have been 150, uh, he would always, always give us this verse. What is the verse? Come on. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Howard, what is it? Bring, bring all. Bring all the what? Bring all. Help me now. Help me. Bring all the whole tithe. Where? Into the or treasury. Isn't this interesting? I mean, that's pretty cool. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Okay. But how does those verses precede? It precedes saying, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? And the answer is, Who's robbing you, God? And then it leads into that. You know? Who's robbing me? Uh, have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. Okay? It says you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore put me to the test. I think that's pretty key. So, the treasure principle is, you know, where your heart is, there's your treasure. Am I willing, am I willing to truly truly trust what you say okay now what else does he say all right and in this i mean practical again in the next in the month of january the law says everybody needs to get their w-2s back so they can do their taxes practical i'm going to do it i'm going to look at what my annual income was and i'm going to look at where my giving is and i'm going to look at the two and if they don't match and i'm talking about giving i'm talking about giving to the local church first we give to local church. We give to other ministries. Okay? But I'm going to compare the two. Debbie and I are going to sit down and we're going to say, okay, how have we done this year? What have we done? All right? So, are you robbing God? Are you robbing God? So, go to the second part. From the treasure principle to the tithe practice. Now, I'm not going to have you read the whole deal. But in Nehemiah chapter 10... Nehemiah chapter 10, all I can say is holy mackerel for this stuff. Because here's the people of Israel who have gone back into the promised land. God's promised you're going to go back to the, to the holy land. Nehemiah is leading the way. They're rebuilding the wall. The people have gathered together. They have had a time of celebration. They read the law. They listened to it. They responded with their um, practicing the, the Passover and all that stuff which led then to a time of repentance and prayer, which led to a time of commitment. Verse uh, in chapter 10, this is the commitment that the people gathered together, the local congregation, okay? And just starting in verse 32, just listen to some of this stuff. I mean, it's incredible. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. Okay, and then it talks about that. 
We, the priests and Levites, according to the fathers, this is going down. Verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of every fruit of the tree, year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister of the house, the firstborn of our sons, our cattle, as it's written in the law, the firstborn of the herds, to bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, the chambers of our houses, and for the priest. And I, you know what? These folks were committing to give in support of God's work in the temple, supporting the ministers in the temple, supporting the work of the, of the, of the congregation. Okay? They were committing in a public commitment. So, the tithe practice. This is, this is a, um, an example of what's going on in the Old Testament. Now we're moving across to what I called the testamental twist. Brandon, what did you ask me before we started? Do you? Could you say that louder? I'll let you decide. Based on, let's look at Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. And it is true, as you're looking for that, that the word tithe is used twice in the New Testament. Two times only. Okay, it's used twice. Matthew 23, 23, and the parallel verse in Luke eleven forty two. 42. The word tithes, plural, is used, you know, also uh, really twice in two contexts. Okay? So, Matthew 23, 23. Brandon, your voice sound good, buddy? You want to do it for us? Context, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees. All right. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Stop there, please. I'm setting you up big time, but stop there. You tithe the what? Mint. Dill. Cumin, what, are, what is that? Uh, elaborate, expensive, or just hardly anything. I mean, it's like you're tithing, you know, from the first fruits of your ground, right? You pull a head of lettuce, whack a 10% off of that baby and give it to the priest. You know, he's saying, you know what? You guys are so intent on tithing even to the smallest amount but you ignore what? The weightier things, okay? Now, read the next phrase, please, Brandon, loudly. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Okay, those are the weightier things. And then what does he say? What are the these, do you think? I think so. Jesus doesn't condemn tithing, does he? There was an opportunity to condemn it, to say, hey, you guys are tied up under the law. He doesn't condemn tithing, which is interesting to me. These things should have done, but there's also other things you need to do. But it's like, here you go. So Jesus is not condemning tithing in this text. And that's why I'm saying, you know, Here's a little testamental twist, because I've always said we need to practice New Testament giving. You know, and you hear the music and all, ah, New Testament giving. Nah, nah, nah. What is New Testament giving? What is really New Testament giving? The heart, right. Giving from the heart, okay? Is there a limit on giving from the heart? Jesus doesn't condemn the tithe. So, the testamental twist is this. I think it's okay to throw that tithe idea out there and say, you know, that's, that may be basic of what we need to deal with. Okay? I've said it. Any response? <laughs> Any reaction on that one? I think it's okay to say, you know, if we practice... I mean, if this church... Like any other church, if this church practice 
tithing, the first fruits, the first... I mean, what this means, okay, you're, you're, um, some of you have job challenges. Some of you are farmers. I love it when Brandon says, I'm just a fish farmer. And I never thought about it, but it's true. You know, I mean, it, it, your business is dependent on the weather, the, right? I mean, Howard, what was it? The, uh, during the fall, it's like, so Howard, you've had rain and sun. And then he goes, yep, but all those leaves falling down, blocking the pumps and the filters. <laughs> it's like, it never stops, right? So, you know, there's fish farm and there's ground farm and there's goat raising, right? I mean, there's farmers, there's farmers. There's people that have regular incomes. There's people that have self-employed income. But is it, I mean, could we think about practicing first fruits? I mean, when I get my paycheck or if I, you know, um, self-employed and I get, you know, $300 one week and $200 one week and $800 one week, could I start practicing that I'm literally before the Lord with trust to say, I'm pulling that 800, you know, 800, here's $80, Christ Community Church, here you go. There you go. So the testamental twist is, I think tithing is okay. I think it's a start. I think it's a place to go. So that'd be the twist. And now the fourth point, the template of trust. The template of trust is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Let's just walk through these very quickly. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And there's a lot, you know, there's giving, uh, a lot of expressions about what was going on in in giving. But let me just walk you through. Um, Look in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. You know, the Apostle Paul, obviously the Corinthian church has promised, has made a promise to give in support of, of a need. Okay? And so he says, basically, you guys have made this promise. And, and he says, uh, you know, as we're thinking about this, uh, verse 1, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means on their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor in taking part in the relief of saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, here's a group under affliction that's begging for the opportunity to give to some who have need. But what is the key point of what prompted their giving? They gave themselves first to the Lord. We're talking about the heart of the matter this morning. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then as he proceeds through, he's calling in verse 10, he's saying this giving, you guys who have made a promise, this giving benefits you. This is to your own benefit. Okay, verse 10. And then if you look at verse uh, 24, their giving was a proof, was a proof of their love. Okay? Where your treasure is, where your heart is, there your treasure is. A proof of your love. Do I trust God or do I not trust God? What is the heart of the matter is where we're going today. And so then out of chapter 8 and this collection, he does. He, he says, okay, so now going into chapter 9, you know, it's superfluous for me to write about the ministry of the saints. I know your readiness, okay? I know of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia. Okay? Your zeal has stirred them up. Okay? But look at verse uh, verse 5 of chapter 9. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you in it and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so it may be ready as a willing gift. And what do some of your translations say, that last phrase in verse 5? A willing gift and not what? Not what? Not one grudgingly given. What did you say, Jeff? Not affected by covetousness. My translation says, not by extraction. Okay? So it's like willing gift, promised gift, and then he goes into the two, which, the two verses which I would call the template of trust. 
I think there's four principles here given in these next two verses about New Testament giving. You want to give New Testament-wise? Giving from the heart. Here it is. The point is this, he says in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Okay? Whoever sows sparingly, whoever sows in a scanty manter, you can expect to reap in a scanty manter. Whoever sows bountifully, generously, will also reap generously. Okay, this is not a word faith verse to say, you give to God, he's going to give back to you. You know, so I want to give more to God so I can get more back from God. Okay, that's not what this is saying and that's not what we believe. But what this is saying is there is a principle here. If you, and I'm going to point it to the end, but if you trust God and if you trust what he says, when you get that $500 check this week and you say, Lord, I've got a car payment, I've got a house payment, I've got an electric payment, I've got this payment, I've got this, and I need to go to the grocery store. And my wife analyzed this week that uh, our local store, that all the prices she saw have gone up 30 to 40 cents on every item since the first of the year. Well, I got some nods here. I got some amens from some of the silent ladies. Thank you. That's true. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, the, the hit on our budget is gas and food. We could get everything else paid for, but gas and food, just like, whoo, gets us. Okay, so, but it's when you get that check and you say, Lord, by faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the 500 and I'm writing a check right now for $50 and I'm setting it aside for the kingdom. Okay? That's if you want to do that. If you want to do $60, great. So, sowing sparingly, reap sparingly. Um, when I was in seminary, we had some tough financial challenges. And we went through a time, and I can almost still remember Debbie's sweet face looking at me and saying, you haven't been tithing? You remember that, don't you, Debbie? Yeah. And we had gone, we had gone uh, there'd probably been four or five months where it's like, you know, I'm handling the books and I'm saying, I'm not showing my wife the books. You know, we're getting groceries and all this stuff. But, I mean, stuff just kept happening. Cars break it. I mean, just stuff happening. Don't want to get too mystical on you. But we also have 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, she looked at me and said, you haven't been tithing? We always, we've got to tithe. It's like, yeah, but hun, we've got this, 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 this. Bless her heart. That same week, had a small group at the, at the seminary, and, and I, didn't, I didn't go. I mean, at the time, I, was, I think I was working at Kmart or something. I mean, you know, it was, it was a sweet ride. Uh, I went, and I often didn't go to these small groups, but I went this one week, and here's a guy sitting there who's about to graduate, and out of the blue, uh, the advisors, you know, uh, I don't know what we're talking about, but this guy says, I just want to share something today. He said, a lot of you guys are here, first-year, second-year students. He said, I'm about to graduate. And he said, here's the lesson I learned early. And then he went on to share how he, he was almost describing my head and my attitude. You know, first year here, a lot of pressure, finances, don't have the job, can't do this. And he says, he says but, you know, God made it very clear to me I needed, we needed as a, a, my wife and children, we needed to continue to tithe. We needed to continue to give faithfully, trusting God. And he said, I can tell you a wealth of stories about how God provided. But he says, one of the most practical, he said, he said I got a Toyota Celica sitting out in the parking lot. He says, I want any of you guys to go out and look at the tires on that car. He says, they look still brand new. Those things have over 70,000 miles on them, you know? And he says, but I really, he says, I really believe that God has kept the tread on those tires to get me through seminary. And we have been faithful to trust him. And so that was the same week that Debbie's looking at me going, you know, what's wrong with you? So it's like, okay, God, you know, and I'm literally, we had one, one week at the, I mean, I don't know how much time was left in the month. We had $15 and we had no food. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. It's like, but we're going to, we're going to We're going to give our money to the church. And, and I mean, over the years, I mean, the, the neat 
you know, the neat stuff that happened um, about how God provided for us over the years, literally, miraculously, uh, with money, with, with cars. People have given us cars, uh, you know, and I didn't stand out on the street with a sign with my children lined up beside me, you know. I mean, God, I mean, he's trustworthy is the bottom line. I mean, for real, he's trustworthy. So, and I know, I know a bunch of you guys can share stuff like that. It's like, can God be trusted? If God says, do this, what is wrong with us that we don't do it? You know, what is wrong with us that we don't, that we don't trust him? So, the, the verse continues, and that's the first principle. The first principle is, how should we give? What's New Testament giving? Generous. You want to write that one down? Generous. Generously. That's New Testament giving. Okay? Giving generously. And then it goes on, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Okay? Second principle is purposed or you know if you will systematic purpose giving if you look back in first corinthians 16 where the apostle says to the church every week on the first day of the week each one of you should give as you have promised how about that for a little law for you huh you know every week on the first day of the week, each of you should give as you have purposed or promised to give. Can't deny it. That's New Testament giving. Is that a tithe? You know? Did you intend? Did you promise a tithe? There you go. So, the second principle, generous giving, purposed or systematic giving. Nowadays, that is easily done, folks. If you have a bank account... And you have the ability to tell your bank every... I mean, you do it, I do it with my mortgage. I do it with my phone bill. I do it with my electric bill. And I do it with my gift to the church. I tell PNC Bank to send a check. And it doesn't cost me. I'm not writing a check. And I'm you know, not wasting money on postage. Okay? They do it for me. I just tell them, here's the amount. Here's when I want this to be given. I do it with my car insurance. Don't we? I mean, do people do that? Anybody else? I do it. I mean, it's just like, it's done. I don't think about it. That is systematic giving. That's purposed giving. So that's the second principle. Purpose. And what this word means, literally means to choose beforehand. And it says, uh, the word can be, it's a permanent purpose. Choosing beforehand. Don't just do it. And this is where this is going on the next one. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Two different words. Okay? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. But... Catch this, what this word reluctant means. Not give, not grudgingly, you know. Here. Here. Grudgingly, okay. Here, just have the whole, just take it, because there's never any money in there anyway. So, but... The grudgingly, the word, the word means sorrow, okay? How many, of us, how many of us has given to a cause because we started crying? Okay? We felt sorry for something or somebody. You know, yeah. Okay, but that's what that means. You know, this word saying, okay, you're purposed in your heart, you're going to give in this way, not out of sorrow, you know, the Macedonians didn't feel sorry for the Corinthians. I mean, not out of sorrow. I mean, there's a place for giving that way too. But he's talking about the systematic giving, not out of sorrow. Secondly, or out of, it says, or out of compulsion. Okay, this is where he goes back to that word extraction. You know, okay, Noah, did you earn any money at all last year? Yes, you earn something, okay? So, in this church we say, okay, guys like Noah, let's say you earned 120 bucks. I'm going to see if you gave 12 bucks to the church. That's math. 
and a little 10% deal. Okay. Extract, we're going to extract 12 bucks from you, baby. And we're going to, you know, so this idea of extraction, he says, don't, your giving is generous, it's purposed, and it's not, you know, it's, and literally this could mean like pulling eye teeth. Where are your eye teeth? Yes, that would hurt, right? Not, I mean, that's what it's saying. Don't, your giving is not to be, oh, I feel guilty. No, you know, which is really freeing. I mean, that I think is the New Testament principle. I mean, your giving is, there's freedom, you know, Galatians 5.1, freedom in Christ. So the first one is generous. The second one is systematic or purposed. The third one is not, it's, it's, uh, uh, I got a positive word. I didn't, I, what positive word did I use? Willingly. That's the word I want to use. Willingly. Okay? Not under compulsion. Not, you know, out of sorrow, if you will. But willingly giving. So that's the third principle. And the fourth principle is the fun one, right? For God loves a... All right. And some of you guys are wonderful scholars. So the Greek word for cheerful... We get our English word, what? Hilarious. Hilarious. Okay? So that, I think, are the te- that's the template of trust. Hilarious giving. Purposed giving. Generous giving. And willing giving. And that, I think, is the template of trust. Because if you finish this chapter, look at what verse 8 says, if you have any doubt whether giving in such a manner is okay, and can you really trust? What is, somebody read verse 8 for me, please, out loud, loudly, in English, go ahead and read it, hello, Oh, really? Do we believe that? Honestly believe that? Dottie, read that one more time, please. After, if we give, if you will, let's prefix. If we give generously, purposefully, willingly, and cheerfully, then... All right. Is your patience overwhelmed at this point? The challenge before us is this. And in this congregation, if you name the name of Christ, if you're serious about your walk with Him, if you consider Christ Community Church your church, then I would beg you to prayerfully and honestly evaluate your heart in this manner and in this matter. Okay? Because he who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin. Some probably are in sin as far as this issue of giving to this local body and, and their attitude. Okay? Maybe a lot of us are in sin. You know the right thing to do. You don't do it. The heart of the matter, I believe, is the matter of trust. Which, thanks for getting this song. Give me faith to trust what you say. Do I trust God and His Word? Do I trust that regardless? And I know that uh, there are people here that have challenging circumstances right now. And, uh, you know, and this was never intended to be, you know, anything other than just kind of like a family talk, which has gone on and on. This is, this is what my children were raised with. You know, here you go, Dad. You know, a family talk. 
But it's, it's also really neat because here's what's happening. The three things I said at the beginning, the call of the local church, this, the giving situation in our church, and then the fact that so many folks have expressed a real desire to see some kind of ministry in a particular area. How many of you are familiar with uh, Henry Blackaby's work and workbook called Experiencing God? Okay. In that, one of the things that Blackaby, and I think this is just wonderfully brilliant and godly, he says one of the key things to experiencing God is to find out what? Where God is working and do what? Join Him. Find out where God is working and join Him. So for the next few weeks, that's really the prayer of what we are going to do as a congregation. Find out where God is working, because we think it's pretty obvious that God is working if we're talking about 75% of the folks are saying, you know what, there's a need and let's see if we can do something with it. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to shape up. We know that the Lord has put folks in our congregation, brought people together from scattered places. And it's like, is this, what God, is this where God wants this congregation to pool its resources monetarily, physically, emotionally, is this what God wants us to be about and then we ought to join Him and He will fulfill the promise. He is able to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you will abound in every good work. I believe, and I believe Chad believes and Michael believes that God has brought us to this place at this time. I really think that the reason our giving has gone crazed down is because we have not been, we have not verbalized and really led in a focused direction congregationally. We've been, in a sense, content to let people come, to let people, you know, it's like, you got this ministry, you got this ministry, you got this, that's cool, that's fine, you know. There's, there's no, there's no uh, sin involved, if you will. But it's like, if God's bringing all these folks together, and we're talking, we're talking families. We're not just talking adults are responsible for this. We're talking families, okay, of all ages. If God's brought this congregation together, then we are going to call all of us for this. The first thing I think, and next week Michael will probably kind of focus on this, but the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Remember what it said? They first did what? Gave themselves to the Lord, right? That's where we need to start, each of us. It's a new year. It's a new opportunity. They first gave themselves to the Lord. We need to corporately, each of you, and I would ask each of you even this week, to be praying, what does that mean for me, for my family? What does it mean to give myself to the Lord? It's not, you know, we're not just saying, okay, write a check and you're good, right? I mean, we know that. First, give yourself to the Lord. And that's where we want to go. And, and I, I really believe that the heart of the matter is the matter of trust. Do we really trust God to fulfill and to fulfill his promises? Do we really trust him with every part of our lives, with our cars, with our homes, with our expenses? With I mean, do we really trust him? Because I think there's consequences that we've seen. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, you know, some of you people are approaching the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And that's why, literally it says, that's why there's sickness and that's why there's death among you. Ananias and Sapphira, what, were they, what was their game they played? You know, they did, you know, by their words, they promised something, but they were lying, you know, to the Lord. So, I really don't want this to be a real downer. <laughs> I hope it's not. You know, other than just, you know, here's the deal. Uh, we need to all just contemplate, if this is God's word, and if I've done anything askew on this, I think the big issue is, 
do you give first to the local church? That question is a challenge. Should your giving be first to your local body and then to other ministries? I think that most parachurch organizations verbalize it that way. I think most of them say, make sure you give to your local church and then whatever you might have or else to give, we would appreciate. You hear it all the time at the end of radio shows. I have it on good authority in Dave Ramsey's book. He says that exactly. First, support your local church. Okay? I think Larry Burkett did the same thing. But that's the question. Because I know there's probably, most of you guys are generous givers. Most of you guys are generous givers. But where are you giving? And why are you giving? And should it be? And that's going to be the question. I think at the end of January, we're probably going to say, okay, let's just pass out cards and, you know, folks, write down what you're willing to commit to this church. Because we can't put, we really can't put a budget together. We can't really move ministry direction. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's something that'll be really helpful. So as you pray toward that, um, giving yourselves first to the Lord and, and all that that means. And you know what? Since I haven't preached here in what, how long? I have totally... Wes, you should have rung the bell on me, buddy. Huh? Three years. Okay, that's three years worth right there. Uh, anyway, we can continue the discussion. I don't know what you have planned. <laughs> Howard's, Howard's leading in there. I don't know what you got planned. Brandon already told me they're talking about tithing over there in the, uh, with the singles thing. So, uh, Anyway, so let me conclude us in prayer. Anybody have any questions or clarifications or anything? You know, we have a great opportunity. God's bringing us together. And, you know, let's just see what he does amid Christ Community Church and see how it plays out with everybody on board. Right? Okay. We're going to pray. You guys are... No, man, I want to... we got to sing it. It's not an appropriate song or what? we got to sing because these people have been sitting for like an hour now or more. So. so you guys come on up for the singing. Okay. All right. Lord, thanks uh, for our time and uh, just the sharing. And we pray, Father, for our... Uh, uh, our response, our response to what you have for each of us. Uh, and we just pray, Lord, for us to all respond in obedience because it's a matter of trusting and then obeying, or is it a matter of obeying and then trusting? Eh, we don't know. But trust is, is the bottom line. So thank you for that. Uh, thanks for the folks' patience today. Uh, just pray for uh, receptive hearts and contemplative hearts uh, for where we go from here. Uh, all for your kingdom. Uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.